Let's, let's pray for our children. Lord God, we thank you for the, the blessing of seeing you at work. And Lord, we thank you for these, uh, these children that are heading back and for their leaders. And Lord, pray that you'll just bless their time and that uh, deep in the hearts of, of these precious ones, uh, that the gospel seeds are being planted. And uh, Lord, that they would, uh, in due time, recognize their need for a Savior, repent of sin, and put their faith and trust in Christ. And so, Lord, we pray for them and, and for the families that they belong to. And we love you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you this morning. And as a few have already shared what we're preaching on today, it's, it, it is in um, the Sermon on the Mount where we are, Matthew 5. And I think we'll be doing a couple verses there, 31 and 32. And then we'll jump over to 19 because I think Matthew gives us a little more detail on this subject. And if I put a title on it, I'd say, what's up with divorce? And as he said, that's a favorite topic to preach on, right? No. But the Bible speaks to it, and our God is a great God. It's totally in his wheelhouse to take care and to cover uh, the, the fallen world that we live in and to redeem, to restore, to rescue, to reconcile. And so I'm grateful for him and for his ability uh, to do that and to cover us. Uh, Matthew Henry, a 17th century Bible commentator, said this. He said, Eve was not taken from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his feet to be trampled underfoot. But she was taken from his side that she might be his equal and from under his arm that she might be protected by him and near his heart that he might cherish and love her. You know, as we, as we look and, and we see this passage and Jesus addresses it, uh, this subject and, and, and how tough it is, uh, but he, he doesn't avoid it. Um, he speaks to it. And it, it is divorce. And it's, it's a tough one. Uh, I was thinking back, I think it was 1973, and we'd moved to a new town uh, in Greenwood, South Carolina. Uh, new school, new friends. And um, I met a friend. He's the only person I've ever met that was named Kit, K-I-T. That was his name. Uh, and he and I became good friends. Uh, there in third grade, he helped me transition from being the lone kid that didn't know anybody to to one who had some friends in school and didn't... Uh, uh, Dread school like it was those first few days, just not knowing anybody. And Kit was one of those good friends. And um, I'm grateful for those times and just even in, the, in that year, third grade, just the friendship that we had. It was also the first time that, that divorce impacted or hit me in something that was beyond just a word I heard here and there. Um, Kit and I were talking one day, and he said something about his father, and I just, over passage of time, I just noticed that he talked about his dad a lot, and so I asked about his mom, and he said, well, she doesn't live with us. And I was just like, what do you mean? And then he said, well, my parents divorced. And, and that was the first time that I was aware or met somebody uh, that had been impacted by that. And I could see just just the discomfort and, and the, the hurt and the sadness that, as he told me that. 
Uh, we, had, we were friends for years until he moved away. Um, but I think of that time, and, and from that moment on, um, divorce has just been something that's been around. Um, and it's, yeah, I think probably for all of us in this room, it's impacted us one way or another, either directly or through uh, immediate family, extended family, friends, classmates, coworkers. It's, it is just part of our culture and our world, our fallen world, our life. And when I was reflecting on this, it was, again, as I said, it's such a blessing to know that our great God is a God who can cover. And I'm grateful for that. So before we jump in, just a couple things. These, some of these statistics are sobering, but I think it was, it was a refresher for me a few weeks ago when I started looking at this. But just, uh, just to share these, and, and then we'll dive in and see what Jesus is saying. In 2021, there was 1.7 million marriages and 700,000 divorces. Um, and they think the figure could have been higher, except there were some marriages that are basically terminated but not legally severed. Um, one million children see their parents divorce annually. Um, and then in reading R.C. Sproul, he shared a, a book that was written around in the 1950s uh, by a Harvard sociologist who was raising uh, some concern and alarm about the culture in the day in America and the state of the family. And what he, he has studied, and he shared this in his book, in 1910, the divorce rate in America was 10%. And then in 1948, right before he put out his book and his study, in 1948, it had climbed to 25%. And part of what he was sharing in the book there in the 1950s was that civilization or culture as we know it struggles, and I think he actually, I think the word he used was will disintegrate if the divorce rate or the breakup of the family climbs above one out of four, or climbs above 25%. And so what he was doing in his book was raising concern and alarm for it. Um, in the U.S. Uh, last year, divorce rate was at 45%. Um, 1981 was the high for America. It was at 53%. It's gone down just a little bit. Uh, Spain, I just looked at a couple countries. Spain is last year 63%, and Belgium was at 71% um, in uh, divorce rate. The, the global divorce rate is projected for 2022 uh, globally to be 48%. Danny Aiken uh, said this, and, and I, I want to read it. I just love it. Um, really speaks, speaks to this. He says, with divorce being so common in our own day, and it's part of why I would read it for, for me. He says, in our own day, many ministers ignore or avoid the subject to keep from hurting feelings and causing conflict. Some believe the Bible is no longer relevant to the issue of the world of no-fault divorce, the pill, living together, and same-sex relationships, unquote. Um, Twenty-five so years ago, my professor shared three challenges in our seminary class about uh, challenges facing the evangelical church with this subject. And I think it's still true today. But the first one, he said, was an increasing need for the church to minister to those outside the church that are facing or are struggling with divorce. So the church needs to minister to them and, and be prepared to. Number two, 
church must minister and help families within the church that are struggling through divorce. And then number three, um, the growing number of pastors, theologians, um, denominational leaders who are ending their marriages in divorce. And so he, he challenged us in our, our seminary class of pastors and youth pastors with, with this thought. And he said, it's a tough subject. And it's still a tough subject. It was a tough subject in Jesus' day. So as we get ready to jump in, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, we thank you for who you are. We worship you this morning. You're worthy. And Lord, your words are true. And so help us as we look at these words that Jesus says here in Matthew 5 and 19. Help us uh, navigate uh, what is said and how it applies. And Lord, just to kind of crowd out what our, kind of our culture says about this view of marriage and divorce. And Lord, may you help us see it the way you see it. And Lord, that we can rest in you, that you can help us through it. And help us to, to recover, to rescue, to redeem um, uh, people who are seeking you. And so, Lord, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so when I was looking at this, in the last couple of weeks, I've tried to read uh, different viewpoints. Because if you just kind of narrow in, okay, kind of here's where I believe, and then I'm only going to read what people who believe the same way I do, then I, I understand that I start to get tunnel vision. I want to try to be a little more broad and make sure uh, that as I read the Word and as I, I study and then as I hear others that I'm, I'm kind of understanding where people are coming from. And this was one of those where uh, theologians, uh, men, women, love the Lord, love His Word, but this is one of those subjects where they, people land in different places. And so uh, I hope when we finish in just a little bit that we're going to, one, we're going to be able to see where we land uh, on this subject and what's essential and then understand that there's grace as we all process and land in, um, through our study on, uh, on this, on marriage and divorce. But to kind of categorize, and, and it was really played out for me a few weeks back, um, here were kind of some different places where people land, and, and I'm going to read some of them. One of them, I'm going to say, I'm not sure I would say a theologian slash somebody who loves the Lord and the Word would land in this category, but um, and that category is no restrictions on divorce at all. It's just straight up, doesn't matter. Any reason at all, anytime, anyway, anywhere. That is a place where some land. I don't think there's any good scriptural basis at all for that position, but there's some that hold that. So here are the other positions. Um, and again, there are people that land in these. Some land in, there are more people landing in some of these. But a first one, uh, there's no divorce for any reason at all, zero. There's some who land there. I think they would, just to sum, summarize really quick, they would say it's because God made marriage before the fall, so the divorce wasn't there. So that's why they land there. Another one is they land uh, on divorce for adultery only, but there's zero remarriage. And then there's another group or category, adultery or desertion by an unbelieving spouse. And then that group would say no remarriage. Then you have another that says adultery, desertion by an unbelieving spouse, and remarriage 
allowed to a believer for the innocent party. And then you have another in the case of a divorce taking place prior to one's coming to faith in Christ Jesus. Remarriage, permissible uh, if, rec- if there's no reconciliation possible. Uh, so anyway, you see just in general there's different areas and there's where people studying Scripture kind of land in some of these. And um, I would just say even on that last one, I have a very good friend of mine um, that's been in a marriage for 36, 37 years this is their second marriage. He was married. Uh, they divorced. He came to faith in Christ, and God brought him a godly woman, and, and they have modeled the gospel in their marriage for 30, almost seven years. Um, and so when I re- was reading that and saw that position, and when I thought about him, because he's one of the most godly men I know, um, and that's, that's his story that God redeemed and rescued him. So, Matthew 5, let's look at 31 and 32 real quick, and then we'll jump to um, Matthew 19 that gives us a little bit more detail. All right, again, this is Jesus speaking, and it's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. So, 31, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. But I tell you, Everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, here again, this is Sermon on the Mount, and as Jesus said, it was, it's also said. So what he's doing is he's referring back to uh, Deuteronomy 24. Okay, And in just a minute, I'm going to get to this. See our talented praise band on a... Not quite last minute, but close. I said, hey, can you guys lead worship and then put up a little object lesson for me? And uh, they did a good job, and I appreciate that. So we're going we're gonna to jump to that in just a second. But So Jesus referencing back, and of course for good Jews, they're going to know, oh yeah, that's Deuteronomy, that's what he's talking about. It's that written notice of divorce. So basically that was a statement where a man could put away his wife. And in that culture... Uh, even up to Jesus' day, the, the woman, the wife, had very little power. And very, very rarely could a Jewish woman initiate divorce. It was pretty much um, Old Testament on into Jesus' day that the, the man could initiate it. Uh, and so he's referencing Deuteronomy. It's the one place where they would go back and say, well, this is where divorce is kind of legislated or instructed or guided, given guidance to. Um, but basically, a written notice of divorce, a certificate of divorce, uh, a simple statement. But I, I was reading, and it said in New Testament times, it actually it said they took a skilled rabbi to kind of craft this statement at that point. Um, but anyway, so it said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. So he's referencing back. And then verse 32, he says, but I tell you, and don't miss that. Here is the God of the universe in flesh and bone. And, and yes, all scripture is inspired. Jesus' words are inspired. Uh, but I think it should perk up when he says, but I tell you. So this is authority speaking. He says, but I tell you. And, and as we see this, he's acknowledging divorce happens. Okay, Because everyone who divorces his wife, so it's happening. He says, except in the case of sexual immorality. So there's an, there's an exception there causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, sexual immorality, or as some say, marital unfaithfulness. Um, 
Jesus says, if, the, if that's the case, then there is a biblical grounds for divorce. Um, and he would say uh, pornea, and that's what the English word that we get for pornography. Um, so he says, if that's the case, biblical grounds. But if not, then you're leading towards sin, and you're causing at risk for this, in this case, as he's speaking in the culture of the day, putting the woman out. Um, causes her to commit adultery. So uh, when you think back in that day, if, if a husband and wife, if he puts her out, he puts her at great risk because now she's got to survive apart from his protection and his provision and his care. And he's putting her out and he's putting her at risk. And so she's facing starvation or maybe selling herself or marrying, making another marriage and quote, this is what he's saying, or causing her to commit adultery. And so... Um, I think for here, we're seeing this, and I think we'll see it again in Matthew 19. It's not both God and Christ. It's both. It's not just, oh, it's always the woman. No, it is. It's both. Both are responsible. Um, so, anyway, as we're, we're looking, this is a debate. I mean, we hear about it today. Well, what's, what is, what's grounds for divorce? Uh, they were asking that then. And... Um, I think we see this. He said, here, for this case, sexual immorality, Jesus is speaking in this moment, in this debate, um, but it's not covering everything, and I think we see evidence of that because Paul brings up what Jesus doesn't address here, and we don't have time for it today, but 1 Corinthians 7, which is abandonment, has another grounds for divorce. Uh, but here, Jesus is speaking to something specific. So let's flip over to 19. So chapter 19, verses starting in 3. Okay, some Pharisees approached him to test him. And they asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, he replied, that he created them in the beginning and made them male and female? And he also said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So here we have uh, Matthew uh, 19. He's, he's going to go into more detail uh, than we saw from Sermon on the Mount and what he recorded there. Um, so to the timeline. All right. So kind of set the table uh, leading up to this moment here in Matthew 19. Um, you have these two characters up here, and so uh, we have to imagine what they look like. They wouldn't pose for a photo back in the day, um, and I don't know if it might be hard. I, let's see. Just handsome guys, right? All right. So these were two guys, or uh, I represent them up here, um, Shammah and Hillel, two rabbis. They were probably about a generation before Jesus, and uh, both of them had strong views on divorce, and so the Pharisees kind of fell in line with one of these two guys. And Shema was considered, 
at the time, one that was the more conservative view of, of divorce. And he would say, uh, one, of, for one of his would be, if a man marries a woman and then finds out she wasn't a virgin, uh, that, and he had evidence of that, that there, there was grounds for divorce. Hillel was pretty much in that mindset of anything goes. You know, that it was much more liberal. He would, he would say anything that the husband would find offensive. And so that's where he was. Okay? Um, and it was told that probably, I'm just going to make this guy Hillel. Okay? Most, that was probably the majority of the opinion when Jesus' day was that it was a little more liberal on what divorce could cover. And then... If, and this, since this is about a generation four, and I don't have a little picture, but right here we could put Herodias, okay? This is the lady, for those of you who know in Scripture, uh, that had been married to Herod Philip, and then she, did, she fell in love with her, his brother, Herod Antipas, so she divorced him under Roman law and married Herod Antipas. And, of course, John the Baptist called him out and said, that's unlawful, you shouldn't do that. And so you know what happened to John the Baptist, right? He was imprisoned. Um, and so that would be like right up here around the time of Jesus on the timeline. So that's kind of the setting that you have. And here uh, these guys approach uh, Jesus. And um, they say, again, some Pharisees approach to test him. Okay, and they ask him, is it lawful for a man to divorce a woman on any grounds? So they're kind of pointing to this view. Okay, any grounds. So they want to get him. Okay? Danny Aiken said this about this moment. He said, The Pharisees in that day, for the most part, followed Rabbi Hillel and made divorce easy, and they wanted it to stay that way. So they came to Jesus to test him. Four times this word test is actually used in Mark. Three times it's the Pharisees testing Jesus, and the other time it's Satan testing Jesus. And, he's, and he, he says, here, here they are again. Uh, as Satan twisted scripture, they're twisting scripture. And so they, as I think about it, and it's now not these two guys, it's their followers, because if they were a generation before, they're probably not around at the time of Jesus, these two guys. Um, but they probably think, we've got Jesus here. Because if he answers a certain way, he's going to offend the powerful, and we know what happened to John the Baptist. If he doesn't offend them, he'll offend the religious because he may offend those who are pointing to Moses, what Moses says in Deuteronomy 24. So this is back in time. So that's their setting. They think we can get Jesus here. And then you see Jesus' response, verse 4. Can you almost picture it? As they challenge him, they test him, and I know he knows. And it's interesting, they're testing God, right? <laughs> they're testing God. And he says, and I can almost see him leaning in and looking at him when he says, haven't you read? Now, he's talking to religious leaders, so good and well they've read it. But he says, haven't you read? that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And that's, of course, Genesis 1, Okay? And made them male and female, verse 5. And he also said, for this reason, 
A man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And so Genesis 2, 24. And that's just a great mystery. Two, and we look at it even today. We're talking about two sinful individuals and coming together and making a marriage. And so what a reminder how much we need God in our marriages, right? Uh, we need his help. But here, so Jesus points out, these two will become one flesh. Verse 6, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, so right here, the leaders, they're calling on Jesus, and they're going, hey, hey, right here, here's what Moses says, Deuteronomy. You know, can we, can we divorce for any reason? And what does Jesus do? He bypasses and goes back to creation. Now, they're referencing Moses. Just don't forget, Jesus knew, knew Moses, knew him, okay? But Jesus goes all the way back, and he goes, here it was in the beginning. And he goes back to creation, points to that, to God's original intent for marriage at the beginning. Husband and wife, two coming together, one flesh, that's the original intent for God, the original design for marriage. And so marriage, ordained by God, a gift of God, is sanctioned by God, and what a, what a blessing. And he made it before the fall. Now we know that if, if God created marriage, God's got the, the right to make the guidelines, to make the rules, to give instruction about it. And in a fallen world, God has the, since he made marriage, he's got the one who can dictate what happens with marriage. And if, if marriage can be broken up or be uh, split up through divorce, he's the one that should have the authority to say wh what that looks like, how that is. And Malachi, he hates divorce. That's what it says in chapter 2. For when I think about that, too, I think he probably, and I, I think when I sense it, and probably for most of us, we'd say, I hate the causes of divorce, things that lead up to it. I hate the consequences of it. It's just, it's hurtful for everyone. Even in justifiable divorce, it's just painful and difficult. I've even seen it in my extended family um, in, in a divorce that happened over 20 years ago, and there's still... God has redeemed and, and blessed uh, my, my extended family marriage for the last 20 years. God has blessed it, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Um, but there's still some difficulty that stems back from that. Um, and so I think that's when if I think of hate divorce. I just hate anything that leads to breaking up a marriage, and I hate the consequences that it happens, but I recognize that it happens. We live in a fallen world. Um, so, that one flesh, and that's a union, and when it's broken up, it's rough. Um, reminded me of an illustration, and I wasn't going to do it today, but, and maybe you've seen it too, where they get the salt and the pepper shakers, and they put super glue and put them together, and it's not coming apart, or if it does, it's going to be rough. It's going to tear it up. And that's, that's just part of the difficulty and the consequence of divorce. So anyway, as Jesus answers that, um, and you think about the Pharisees and how they are thinking, oh, we got to get him. So they're going to bring out question number two. Okay? 
Did, why did Moses command us or command to give us divorce, divorce papers and send her away? And so here's their, their okay, we got to get him. This will be it. And they're testing him. And Jesus' response in verse 8, he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts, but it was not like that from the beginning. Now, notice this. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. It wasn't Jesus. Jesus didn't have a hard heart. He wasn't married, but he said, you and your, it's your sin. And like for us today, I, I would have to say Jesus permitted, uh, Moses permitted us, our, because of our hardness of heart. Um, but Jesus didn't share in that sin. And that's where you kind of see that little, little turn there. Because you, your hardness of heart, that it was permitted. Okay, they kind of said Moses commanded it, and Jesus goes, uh, he permitted it. He didn't command it. So I think he didn't have a hard heart. He has a tender heart for, for people. I mean, he ultimately came for all. He came willing to live and to die. He gave his life. And what, what a tender heart he has. And so he has a heart for marriage. He has a heart for singles. He has a heart for uh, those struggling in marriage. Or he has, he has a heart for those who've the aftermath of divorce. He has a heart for those who are in remarriage. He has the heart of God. And uh, that should be what we should strive for, that we, ha- that we be tender, that we be caring, and that we be loving and help even when this, this, this is happening. But as he addresses these Pharisees as they've been trying to test him, and then he says, verse 9, and it echoes back to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. I tell you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. And so people say, well, what's that? Sexual immorality. And some would, some would say it's just adultery. And others would say it's a little bit broader than that. It incest. There's other sexual sins that this would fall under. So sexual immorality, um, that would be what appears to be Jesus pointing to this is a reason for divorce in a fallen world. Not commanded or required, but it is permitted. And that he points to, and that's why I I said just a little while ago that, that Paul recognizes another situation, and Paul is not giving an opinion in 1 Corinthians 7. He's speaking with authority, too. And he points to the other exception, abandonment. And we don't have the time to, to jump into that one, but I would say of those two, or death, somebody this past week mentioned that's another one that would break up a marriage. And when you think about that, when, if death happens, then the, one, the widow or widower is free to remarry because the marital bond had been broken. So same thing in a biblical divorce, the marital bond is broken. And so I believe, and um, I study and in reading others, that I I believe that also allows for if a biblical divorce, there's an opportunity for a biblical remarriage. So 
when I, th- I think of this and I think, because it just comes to mind over the years, when I think of family members, when I think of friends, uh, when I think of students in the youth ministry that have already experienced this, when I think of others who have endured, um, I'm constantly reminded that this is a difficult part of our life and part of our culture. And so is the church, is the church really ready to, to be a blessing and to help? Um, and I've been thinking about it just in a, in a specific case for us at Grace. You know, are we ready to help? So um, somebody sent me an, an article and a statistic and I read, and it, it was pretty impactful. Before I share that, so in Scripture, we don't see evidence that because this, someone must stay in a home that's there's, there's severe neglect, that there's abuse of some kind, that they, because of this, they have to stay there. There's no one in Scripture. Again, God has a heart for, for those that are struggling in that, and I think there's no doubt that someone should not stay in a home with abuse. There needs to be a step away, and a, certainly if both are believers, then that's when the church needs to step in. And to help. And Matthew 18 and 1 Corinthians 5 give the church direction on how to deal with Christians that are having a problem. Um, so, anyway, this statistic, I think it said, and it was speaking to women, that Christian women in a difficult marriage that, say, has abuse in it, um, I think, if I remember right, it said they stay three and a half years longer than a non Christian woman. And I think part of that is, sadly, there's guilt that maybe the church has thrown at them. I think another reason is that genuinely they want, they want their marriage to work, and so they try. Um, so even when I think about this, I think, and I'm speaking for me because haven't, we haven't really unpacked this specific thought in my mind with the elders, but is grace ready to help? Because say someone is in a tough situation, they have to get out. Um, Just like back in the day when they would send the woman out and now she's at risk because she's on her own, she's not protected. Same thing today, if if somebody's put out, they have to get out from a bad situation, are we ready to really help? I think we are. But I also think we've got to kind of be prepared and begin to plan so that we can be a blessing, we can help others. Now, the ultimate goal is that we see... And pray for reconciliation. That's what we pray for, but sometimes that's just not going to happen. Um, and my, my heart is to see that it will. I, I have seen God do a great work and restore a marriage that was on the rocks, and it was miraculous. And that, that marriage is now pushing close to 40 years. Um, but God had to do a mighty work in their hearts. And again, like I, I shared it with my, my buddy in the upstate, um, God can still redeem and rescue. So even if there is divorce, God can work in and through that situation. And so for us as people, and I think specifically for grace, what are we doing to be prepared to, be, to help others, to be a blessing to others? And... Um, and to remember what marriage is. I mean, marriage is a picture, and it was created before the fall. 
But all, the ultimate picture of marriage is Christ in the church. And praise be to God, he is 100% faithful. We're fallen and we mess up. And we blow it. And sometimes we blow it royally. But he is faithful to his bride. And that's, that's who we sing to. That's who we worship. That's who we serve. That's who we live for. And so may God help us um, as we are in a culture that is really struggling and in a world that's really struggling. So I think two questions as we kind of close this out, but two, one is kind of a question for us as a church family, church, and then maybe more specific grace. Um, and then the other is maybe a question, Mike, more for individuals or our family. So here, the question for grace or for church what should we do or what should grace do in light of this, this uh, of, of marriage and trouble and of difficulty and of divorce? You know, we do life together as a faith family, and that's, you know, we celebrate, right? We celebrate births. We celebrate singleness. We celebrate graduations and job promotions and joys in life, and that's part of what we do is we celebrate together. We do life together. But in the midst of that, too, we also do life together in the difficult things, in losing a spouse, in uh, job loss, in hurt, in abandonment, uh, in divorce, and all that. So even in the difficult things, we do life together, and a good church should. And so I I pray God would help us do that. So what should we do? I think there are two things, Um, comfort comfort and confront. So hear me. Comfort, you know, we comfort each other. Like I said, we, we do life together through thick and thin. And so let's, let's be a blessing, comfort each other. Second, we confront. So when I say that, I say that in, in the sense that, again, everything we do, not even just in, in this subject, but in, in Scripture, what does Scripture say? What is God's best? What does God say? And let's, let's dig into that and let's keep pointing people to the truth um, because we need to do that. Um, David Platt and his church that he served at in Alabama said this, and, and I think it speaks to these two things, comfort and confront. He said this. He said, we are members of one body that we might love each other, care for each other, and build one another up in Christ. If we sit back and do nothing, we leave our brother and sister to walk their journey alone. If we comfort but do not share truth, we deceive them. If we confront them but do not comfort them, we only harden their hearts. We must do both, and we must take responsibility for each other's growth in Christ for the glory of God in our lives and in the church. So I hope that will be, be our prayer corporately. Okay, so as we, as, we, as we see this, and now the second question for us as individuals, um, again, God's intent for marriage from the beginning, was man-woman for life. Um, but he, he, there are circumstances where divorce is permitted. Um, it's not commanded, but permitted. Um, and we would say, I would say sexual immorality, and I would say abandonment. And again, we go, we'll probably in the future go and spend some time in 1 Corinthians 7. But here, so individually, here, here's some things. So if, if you fall in one of these, just think it through. If you're single then rest in your singleness. Rest in it with your heavenly Father and seek to serve him and his kingdom. So rest in that. Okay, if you're married, 
Love your spouse in a way that portrays the gospel of Christ. And then just a side note for, for me and for us men, okay? Remember Ephesians 5.25, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. A little side note there for men. Three, if you're married and you're considering divorce, then remember the gospel modeled by the Savior and seek his help and seek the help of other Christian friends. And my prayer, if this, if this is your home church, then the Grace family. And let's help. Let's do that together. Four, if, if you're divorced for biblical reasons and you're single, then rest in Christ and um, live for him and then uh, prepare if, if future marriage is in, your, in, in for you. Okay, last two. Five, if you're divorced for unbiblical reasons, if you haven't already done this, turn to Christ, repent, and then rest in his forgiveness and his restoration. And then again, God is totally able to do that. And then last, if you're divorced for unbiblical reasons and you're already remarried, if you haven't done this, then turn to Christ, repent, rest in the good news of the gospel, and then model the gospel in your current marriage. And be a blessing. And so, as we live in a world, ultimately the world needs to see the gospel of Christ Jesus, and they're not going to see it in the lost world. They're going to have to see it in the church. They're going to have to see it in us. And so, uh, let's ask God to help us model that in our singleness, in our marriages, in our families, in our parenting, in our retirement years, in our school years. May we model the Savior. And may we point to Him that and because all of life, God, God can cover, God can redeem, God can restore, God can reconcile. And so um, let's continue to ask God to help us to be a people that others see God in us, that others see Christ Jesus. And so let's be a blessing. And if you are aware of, of, of friends, family, coworkers that are facing this, then be prayerful and then be ready to help. And then also, I, would, I know I would, and I think the other elders would too, pray for us, um, and not just us as leaders, but pray for us as a church, uh, that we would be a church that is pointing people to the Savior and that we want to be a blessing and help others, no matter where they are in life, whatever stage. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, come before you, we humbly ask that, that you move in our hearts. Lord, we thank you that uh, you did create marriage. And Lord, it is, it is heartbreaking that in a fallen world, all marriages don't last. And, uh, Lord, we're, we're so grateful that you can still redeem and rescue, that you can still restore, that you can still forgive, that you can still uh, reconcile, Lord, that you can still do a mighty work in, in fallen humanity. Thank you for Christ and for his faithfulness to your will, his faithfulness to point to your word, Lord, that, that he was willing at the time after the teachings, after the miracles, that he was willing to ultimately give his life for the bride, to give his life for us, that we could be forgiven, that we could be rescued from sin, that we could be redeemed. And Lord, even in the difficulties of life, Lord, you're constant. 
And so, uh, Lord, we thank you for that. Help us as a church to be uh, a church that's a refuge, that's a church that points to you, to the truth, but also a church that is willing to do the hard things, willing to bring comfort and willing to help and willing to do this while resting on you and in your word. And so, Lord, we just thank you for your faithfulness. And we humbly ask uh, that you help us be Christ to our community that needs to know. And may we model it singleness, in marriage, if we're divorced, if we're remarried. Lord, help us where we are in that moment that we would be from this moment forward that we're living to bring glory to your name. Thank you for each family in here today. Lord, I pray that you'll just move in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.